Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I am one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How are you doing today, Jay? Great, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And and everybody, we apologize for taking last week off, but, you know, things, thing, things happen. We try and do this every week, but we do both have companies that we're running. I think here, that's so. the first one that we missed. Um, yeah, that you, that you and I have missed. And, and right. you know, in, since I've started this show, it's probably, I can count on one hand, the total number of shows that have been missed on a weekly basis in almost six years. Good. Well, we're so back. We're back. We're back. So we have a guest with us today. Yeah. Hey, Christian, give a little bit of background and then I'll I'll kind of set up the uh, conversation for today. Okay. So um, I started out in life as a musician. I worked professionally for about 10 years. Then I decided to get honest work and I went to uh, law school. (laughs) Uh, And um, when I got out of law school, I I was lucky I went straight into uh, music practice at Loeb & Loeb and then um, ended up at A&M records for about six years during the the golden half decade or so from 1990 to 1996. Yeah. <clears throat> I moved to Sony in New York, so I was a senior VP at Sony and a VP at A&M. Uh, went back into private practice and came out uh, to move to Silicon Valley in 98, which was a good time to be there. I worked on a number of projects, including the original Napster, um, and after I left that firm, which was called Wilson Sonsini, um, I went to work for Sean Fanning at his second company, which was called Snowcap. Yeah. And after Snowcap, I went into my own practice, and I've had my own practice uh, since uh, 2006, I guess. And then we originally had offices in LA and New York, and then in 2011, I moved everything to Austin, which is where I'm from, and where my family is so um i now spend a lot less time on airplanes i love that's austin. great love austin yeah, yeah what a, a wonderful uh, checkered past you have <laughs> that's great yeah excellent yeah we have a, a mutual friend keith bernstein who's been a guest on our show and i imagine you worked with him maybe a couple of times a&m and napster that's right yeah a&m keith and i worked together quite a bit he supervised um, the inbound audits and I, I split those with my boss so we uh, we spent a lot of time together working on that and and then at Napster Keith and I actually spent about two years together trying to figure out the Napster subscription service which yeah. never touched but was um, I would have been something what we would call a wall garden P2P now probably yeah yeah well, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show today is to kind of talk about and maybe get a little bit of insight into this lawsuit uh, that David Lowry, you know, from Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker has, um, you know, he's got a law firm. They've got a uh, $150 million lawsuit against uh, Spotify. And According to people that I've spoken with, there's there's a lot of misinformation kind of floating around about what this actually means. And uh, we were talking to Keith about it, and he said, you might be able to kind of uh, open up that conversation a little bit and bring some sanity to the uh, to the debate. What can you tell us about what's going on with uh, with you know Mr. Lowry's lawsuit? Well, there's uh, there's actually two lawsuits. We'll talk about David uh, because I know more about his case than the other one. But the other one is similar. It's uh, another class action that was brought by a songwriter named Melissa Farrick, and she's represented by Henry Gradstein and Harvey Geller, who uh, did the turtles or are doing the turtles case on pre seventy two. So, and Harvey, you may remember from Universal, had been the head of legal affairs at Universal for a really long time. So uh, David's case is. uh, pretty simple. Um, he monitored Spotify for a while and determined that Spotify was um, using his some of his songs uh, without a license. And in Spotify's case, you get a license for the songs one of two ways. You either get it directly from the publisher or the songwriter, if, if the songwriter does not have a publisher, uh, or you can get it by use of a compulsory license, which is always available 
uh, if, if the service wants it. So the service really can elect how they want to license the songs. And remember, in every sound recording, there's two copyrights. There's the song, uh, which is the music and lyrics, let's say, um, and the sound recording of the song, which uh, is just the recording. So the song can be owned by different people than the recording, and the recording can be owned by different people than the song. Uh, in David's case, um, they, he is, uh, I think, the sole writer or co-writer uh, for all the songs that he has been, he was monitoring on Spotify, and which were not licensed. So basically, what happened was in there, there were sort of two steps leading up to this lawsuit. One was David posted a blog on his blog, which is called the Tricordist, um, that said, "Hey, Spotify." here's all the songs that you have that of mine that you haven't licensed and by the way here are the copyright registration numbers now this is a key point because if you've actually filed a copyright registration which David had uh, on these songs then two things happen number one you're entitled to statutory damages under certain circumstances which can be large and the other is that you become pretty much immediately findable in the copyright office database um, and when he did that blog post, you know, an alert um, business affairs person, <laughs> let's just say, at, at, at uh, all the companies, not just Spotify, but all the companies, should have said, hmm, that's odd. This guy's writing a blog about songs that haven't been licensed and he's listing copyright registration numbers. I better go see what we're doing, right? That would have been sort of a, a proactive approach. Uh, and he got nothing uh, from Spotify after he did that. And then subsequently he sent a letter to the Attorney General of the State of New York, which is where Spotify is headquartered in the U.S., um, and uh, complained to the Attorney General of New York that Spotify uh, had not licensed his song and he suspected that they had not licensed a lot of songs. Would you please look into it? Now you may ask yourself, why would he do that? So the reason he would do that is because uh, when Elliot Spitzer was the attorney general for the state of New York back in, let's say, this was, I think, 04, um, Elliot Spitzer launched a multi-year investigation into the music business, particularly the labels, uh, for holding unclaimed royalties. So if, if, um, if they were holding royalties for Brian Adams with an I instead of Brian Adams with a Y, you know, then um, Spitzer was saying, that's dealing from the bottom of the deck, you know, you should go out and find these people. And so there was a settlement that listed a whole bunch of things, um, actions that the labels could take if they were in a situation where they had royalties for somebody who they supposedly couldn't find. So what David Lowry did when, by writing to the Attorney General is say, why don't you apply the same rules to Spotify? And he got no answer at all uh, from the Attorney General. Now, it should not be lost <coughs> on people that the head of communications for Spotify used to work in the Clinton White House and was also the campaign manager for Bill Thompson, who ran for mayor against um, uh, de Blasio. And uh, Thompson endorsed Eric Schneiderman, who's the Attorney General for the state of New York, uh, who David was writing to. Uh, so not saying that there was any connection between those things, but that's just kind of an interesting fact. Sure, sure. <clears throat> so having asked, having posted this and then having asked for the attorney general to help and having gotten nothing in either situation, David, um, uh, based on some uh, posts that came up on Digital Music News in the last week or so, um, evidently sent a demand letter to Spotify in late December, and right about that time, Spotify issued a statement saying that they were going to spend money to develop um, a, a database for song publishers um, because it was so hard to find people. Um, and uh, it would appear that those two events were connected, uh, that they were issuing this in, in anticipation of David filing a lawsuit, which he did file on December 29th. So the lawsuit is uh, essentially on behalf of David, um, and that to me is a pretty pretty airtight to the extent any copyright infringement lawsuit is airtight, pretty airtight lawsuit on David's own behalf. But David also filed on behalf of a of a class to be defined, 
uh, which I suspect, because that's where the action is, you know, in all class actions, is trying to either prove that the class is, there's something wrong with the class so it shouldn't go forward, or that um, the class is uh, acceptable to the court and is manageable. Um, I think what you're going to see is that the class that ends up being the class that's certified, which is what they call a class that's acceptable to the court, uh, is uh, going to be something like all songwriters who have not who have been played on Spotify, whose songs have not been licensed, and who filed copyright registrations. Now that every element of that gets smaller, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But that's still a pretty sizable number of people. Uh, and because they didn't get a statutory license and they didn't send him what's called a notice of intention under the compulsory license, and they also didn't file the I can't find the copyright owner version of the notice of intention with the copyright office, which is what you do um, if you can't find the copyright owner and you want to take advantage of the compulsory license. Because Spotify did none of those things, then Spotify, I think, has a fairly substantial amount of exposure uh, to the class. Now, the court will decide what the damages ought to be, and there will be some discovery, and there will be some back and forth on this. But sure, uh, sure. That's, that's the general lay of the land. Are, are, well, are other streaming services um, in as much trouble as Spotify, even though it's been named as Spotify? Are the other ones doing the same, in, in your knowledge? Well, that's been the rumor, and there, there's a there's various stories that have appeared in Billboard that the NMPA or some members of the NMPA are uh, negotiating with um, several streaming services, including YouTube, uh, to reach a settlement on this um, issue. So, yeah, I think I think there probably are. As a matter of fact, I would not be surprised if all of the on-demand services, which would not include Pandora, for example, but all the on-demand services would probably be in the same boat. Now, you may say, well, why don't they sue them all? There, there, is, there is such a thing as a defendant class action, but that's rare and that's pretty hard. That's, if you think the plaintiff class action is hard to certify, the defendant class action is even harder to certify. So most of the time you don't see that. You see classes suing individual defendants. Well, let me ask you this. Why is this falling on the individual artist level and not at the distributor or label level? Well, so there, that's a good question. Now, what you'll find, and I just had an a, a email exchange with a, a songwriter in the UK about this just the other day. What you'll find is that the labels do not want to take responsibility for providing the publisher information to the services. Um, you can argue about, there, there's pros and cons about that. But don't they? I thought they did via like a DDEX feed that, that was kind of standard, that that maybe not on a you know financial level, but just like with the splits and some of that, I thought they did provide publishing information. Maybe no. not? Publishers, Universal and Sony... ATV have started posting um, song information online. Um, the labels don't, I, and I don't know uh, off the top of my head just how deep that goes. My my recollection is that they don't publish splits. They just say we have some publishing interest in these songs. Got it. Uh, now I can tell you when I was at A and M, uh, we used to get. I used to get when I first started there. I used to get these excursions from the finance department of people complaining about um, uh, mechanical royalty licenses that hadn't been closed and they were holding this uh, you know some mechanicals for this one and that one and the green release of Clark Kent you know blah blah you know all these kind of obscure uh, records most of the time and at that time I think we had something like 200 songs that were unlicensed which by comparison to what we think is the case with Spotify which it's probably millions of songs. Seems kind of quaint. But what I decided to do at that time was I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell these producers and artists that, you know, that part of your contract where it says you're supposed to deliver all the splits and the publishing information, that part you never read? Well, now it's for real. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to deliver us all that information and, or you're not going to get paid. 
So you producer, you won't get your back end if you don't deliver it. And you artists, by the way, you won't get paid either. You know, so all you have to do is just give us the splits. You know, so that way and our administration can send that information down to the royalty department and there doesn't and, and it doesn't it, not only do they not have to run around trying to figure out what it is, they don't run around to my office trying to figure out what it is. Got so it. it out really well. And yeah. you know, you who could does, say who Go ahead. No, I was just going to say you could say that Spotify could do the same, you know, but they haven't for whatever reason. I'm just they, wondering who, who, who I'm sorry. Who who does um a, a digital service provider like Spotify, who are they on the hook to pay? Um do they do they have to pay the the people who own the masters? Do they have to pay the publishers? I mean, is that incumbent upon them to pay these people or can they just pay say Sony you know, uh, Universal, Warner Music. You, you see where I'm going? I mean, do, right. is it incumbent upon them to, to make these payments? If it depends on, in Spotify's case, the answer is yes. Um, it depends on the kind of service you have. It, and yeah. depends Pandora would be different, right? Because it's different, and iTunes would be different, right? For yeah. different reasons. Um, and it also depends on what country you're in. Uh, so, like everywhere else in the world, would have, and this I think is probably the source of the agita with Spotify, is that everywhere else in the world, they essentially send a usage report to the society, and then they send one check, and then the society splits it up amongst all their members based on the usage report. But in the United States, what happens is if you have a download service like iTunes, uh, the, the labels by contract. Uh, agreed to take on the responsibility of paying the mechanical royalties. This is the much maligned pass-through mechanical license, which the publishers and songwriters hate because they're all none of them really have any confidence that they're getting everything they're supposed to get. If it's a if it's Pandora, there is no mechanical royalty because it's all performance. All these services still have to get uh, ask at BMI CSEC licenses, by the way. Um, and, of course, the real reason why we have this problem in the United States is because on-demand services have to get a mechanical license, but the government, which forces songwriters to grant the, the, statu the statutory or sometimes called compulsory mechanical licenses, also prohibit ASCAP and BMI from issuing one license for both the performance and the mechanical. So the short answer as to why Spotify has the problem, the, the, the most... The, the, the most insurmountable problem, um, cause rather for their problem, is um, that the government won't let the societies license for hundred, you know, for all the rights, and that's why the labels aren't really involved in this. Is because uh, they are not obligated to clear the publishing for Spotify. They never agreed to clear the publishing uh, for the on-demand services, and the government won't let the societies license directly the way they do in every other country in the world. Do you do you think that Spotify or I, I, I could just say streaming services went into this business model knowing this was a problem or do you do you sort of feel like this was something that came up out of the blue that unforeseen. they weren't aware of unforeseen and bit them in the ass? Well I can tell you that the compulsory license uh, as a concept, obviously not for streaming, but for as a com mechanic, compulsory mechanical license has been in the Copyright Act since 1909, okay? Um, they either directly or through one of their trade associations participated in the negotiations for the streaming mechanicals which started um, probably I'd say 2002, and then the first set of rates were issued uh, in 09, right? So Spotify launched in the U.S. in 2011, and they think they spent a couple years getting their mechanical licenses together. So I don't think it was a surprise to them. And they hired the Harry Fox agency uh, to handle this. So they, this the issue was clear to them, I think. Um, they hired Fox. I'm sure that wasn't free, you know. Um, and they they did everything apparently except create a mechanical royalty department and take on you know some supervision of this uh, in in house. Uh, I mean I think they do have executives who are tasked with this, but I don't think they 
um, get into the granular, you know, let, let's have a look at that statement for Sting kind of thing. You know, I don't think they really go that deep. So I don't think yeah. it was a surprise. What do you think it works with, uh, you know, like Apple Music versus, say, iTunes? I, you know, iTunes is downloads. Apple Music is, is streaming. Would Apple Music be similar to Spotify in this regard? The obligations would be similar. Uh, the biggest difference is that Apple's got, you know, a multi-years of, of experience with issuing royalty statements. And they have a pretty effective royalty department. I think most yeah. people who... who have looked at the subject would tell you that Apple is probably the state of the art when it comes to uh, getting it done right. Yeah. What, what, is your, what does your gut tell you the outcome will be? Well, the I think the first thing that Spotify um, need, needs to do is to publish a list. They say we're accruing royalties for everybody we can't find. You know, we know, and they know they may not know who the owner is, but they know what the song title is, right? Uh, so they could publish a list of everybody who is um, affected by this because they know who they're not paying. They know who they're accruing for, right? Yeah. So if they were to just publish that list, I think uh, it would go a lot further toward making people feel good about them uh, than you know, trying to bludgeon it out with David and Melissa in court. So I think yeah. that's one thing they could do. The other thing that's happening is the NMPA, I believe, based on what I read, is uh, continuing to negotiate with them, um, with Spotify, in terms of uh, some kind of settlement, uh, which is going to be interesting because you would think that most of the major publishers would have um, most of their songs licensed and be the ones who are receiving most of the income. Uh, so why, you know, how, what, what the contours of that settlement are will, I think, get closely examined as well. Is this, does, does this indicate um, basically a completely broken system that, that, that this is the end result here, that some major streaming service could get themselves into this situation and people are like, well, I had no idea who to pay. We're gathering money. I mean, is the system broken all the way around? Well, I think what, here's what I think happened, right? Um, Spotify kind of bought into this idea that more is better, right? In other words, we, we've got, so-and-so's got 10 million tracks, but we want to have 20 million tracks. You know, we want to be able to offer all the world's music to everyone all the time, right? Sure, sure. Well, as soon as you do that, what you're doing is essentially, from a mechanical licensing point of view, you're essentially starting the entire history of recorded music commercially all on the same day, right? And, and nobody is set up to do that, right? Uh, so I think they, they, I will bet when you get in there and you see what the actual usage is on a lot of these songs, it will probably be not that different from what the PRS found a few years ago, which is that 80% of the songs that they were uh, reported, um, that, well, that they knew were available yeah. on iTunes uh, had never been played once, right? So I think that there, there's, number one, there's, there's no evidence that the reason why a consumer goes to a service is because they have 30 million tracks as opposed to 1 million tracks, you know, if the one million tracks are the hits, you know, I mean, that's that's probably where the problem really starts. Over yeah, the Amazon Prime model. <laughs> yeah, just you know, we, you know, when I was at Snowcap, we probably had fifteen million tracks in the in the Snowcap database at that time, which was oh five oh six, and I can tell you that you know most of those tracks never got played. You know, yeah, yeah, never, never and also didn't really get shared that much on P2P, you know, I mean, relatively speaking. So if you're going to get into this, you have to look at all the transaction costs and say, okay, so, you know, maybe I've got 30 million, maybe, maybe I want 30 million tracks, but do I really have to have that on day one when I launch, particularly if, you know, I'm going to be ending up paying out fractions of a penny 
alienate a whole bunch of artists, right? Get into this windowing beef with Taylor Swift and Adele on a very public way, and then turn around and, and you know, while I'm trying to paint myself as the savior of the music business, turns out that I haven't licensed anywhere from 10 to, uh, I've seen reports of 10 to 25% of the available tracks, wow. which is millions of tracks, mm -hmm. right? So that doesn't seem like a formula for success to me. You know, now maybe they'll get out of it. Maybe it'll all be fine. They'll, they'll settle. But, you know, I can tell you David Lowry is not the kind of plaintiff that most defendants want to have because David is not in this for the money, <laughs> right? I have yeah, a saying yeah. which is, um, you know, one of those general counsel maxims, you know, never let it get to the point where you can't just write a check. Well, David, there's no check that David really wants. David wants justice and justice is expensive, right? So it's hard for me to understand how this was a good idea to let this get to this point. I mean, if, if I had gotten a call from somebody like David Lowry, I would have been all over this. I would have settled this case. Right. What will it take? You know, what do I need to do? And let me do it because I don't want to go through this, right? But I'm funny that way. You know, I hate litigation. Is the end result here different based on if the findings are Spotify knew about this and deliberately ignored what right. they should do versus Spotify got themselves into a system that just didn't work. They tried to accommodate and work with this. It just wasn't supportive of what they needed to do. I mean, is there a difference when, when, a, when, when a lawsuit says you knew and you totally tried to, to do it the wrong way versus, yeah, you were sort of trying, but the system is also fighting against you on this as well. Well, that's that's going to be the argument, right? There's different. There's a different set of damages. It's more expensive in copyright infringement if you have willful infringement than if you have negligent infringement, right? Um, but what I, 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 you know, and I'm sympathetic to the fact that this wasn't that easy to do. But when you see millions of songs that didn't get licensed, that's not you know, a few new releases kind of snuck through or there was a sample where there was a 16th of a song that you just couldn't find the person or they were non-responsive yeah. or whatever. That starts to look like that was the policy. The policy was, you know, um, seek forgiveness. Right. And, Instead and, of permission. And forgiveness is expensive, you know. You know, it, it, it really is. And after a while... Yeah, maybe they didn't intend in, in particular instances, and there'll be all this proof about, well, you know, they may have been grossly negligent, but they weren't willful. You know, well, at what point does grossly negligent kind of cross the line into, into willfulness? You know, I mean, maybe this is a, a question for Thomas Aquinas or something, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's a... You know, you're exercising free will, you know. I mean, you're, they went into this with their eyes open. They knew what they were doing. They hired Fox, uh, you know, and their role in this is still kind of an open question. Um, you know, they got where they got because they wanted what they wanted, you know. And the whatever the answer is to it being difficult, uh, to find certain people, they always had the safety valve of sending the notice to the copyright office. That's in the statute. You know, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that if you if the government set up a notice-based system, they probably thought about what to do if you couldn't find the person you were supposed to send the notice to, right? Um, so that you send the notice to the copyright office, and then the cop what the copyright office does is they publish a big list of all the people who they've received these I can't find them notices for. So that way there's, <coughs> it's kind of like unclaimed property in the state. Right, right. So, I, you, I mean, we, we hear about that all the time, how, hey, go check out this website. Maybe you've got a check from the state of New York that you were supposed to have gotten 20 years ago, and you can right. go claim it. Yeah. You, you know, so that spot, Spotify basically could have done that. They could do it. Saying. They can they do it. Do. They could actually have done it through the copyright office and have no liability. That's the other that that's the part I don't understand. Is you know, 
it costs about $25 to do that. And when you start looking at, well, $25 for notice versus, you know, statutory damages and legal fees, which do I really want to pay? That 25 today, that $25 looks awful cheap. It sure does. Sure does. You know, it yeah. probably didn't when you're talking, if you're talking about, you know, 10 million tracks. Um, and that's probably kind of a hard line item to explain to a venture capitalist. It's like, okay, so we're going to take $25 million of your money and we're going to go register all these claims because we're using these songs, you know, without a license. That probably would not be a great conversation to have, but it sure looks pretty good now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are the damages? I mean, what's typically on? Do you have any, you know, any idea on, say, a song by song basis? Is there kind of a a damage, you know, damages kind of benchmark? Is it is it is it going to is it also going to be based upon was the song ever even streamed? Well, all those things are going to come into play, and I think that that's going to come the 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 definition of the class. Is probably going to be where you see that kind of was it even streamed after yeah. being discussed, right? Because the court's not really interested in spending a lot of time on songs that were never used, right? So just because they could be a class member, so the court may end up coming up with some threshold, you know, like it. That would it, make sense. You know, it was made available. It's like okay, yeah, okay, so that's technically an infringement. It was made available, but nothing ever really happened, and so we're just not going to worry about that. You, you technically, you technically didn't lose any money because it was never played. So how can you get damages? Well, the statutory damages are different, though, right? Because statutory damages don't require actual loss. Uh, oh. But in order to have, that's why they're statutory, right? They're just saying we're just going to assume. We're not going to put you through the proof problem, right? We're just going to assume you have a loss, and that loss is going to be determined this way. Now, when you start doing that for a large number of recordings, particularly a large number of recordings that are owned by different people, um, there's going and Spotify's pushed back on this, citing this very kind of example, uh, is that it becomes difficult to manage. So that's what I mean. I think the court, the court's going to say, okay, well, for purposes of this lawsuit. And this class here, I'm not going to worry about certain kinds of uses or certain kinds of facts. That doesn't mean to say that those people can't bring their lawsuit if they want to bring it. They can. They're just not going to be part of my class because the judge, you know, there's notices that have to go out to the class. There's a lot of case management that goes on with a class action. So the judge is going to be trying to get it down, right? Uh, to a, a manageable size, as you know, and frankly, that's what everybody should want to do. Um, and I think David's open to that too. He just, what, yeah. what I think, to answer your question about what happens, I think you've got to figure out what do you do with the fact that Spotify knows who they haven't been paying. Do, does the court order them to disclose that, either in a court filing, or does the court enjoin in, in them and, and order them to? Um, uh, post that information, which is where the Elliot Spitzer example comes in, because that's exactly what Elliot Spitzer did. He as part of a settlement. There wasn't a court order, but it was part of a settlement. <coughs> and the labels to this day, I think, um, publish that information on their websites. So the court could very easily say, "Okay, Spotify, you have to, even if these are not class members, you know, you have to post all this information on your website because we've got to clean up the past." And then going forward, here's what you have to do. And so I think what you're going to find, the you know, the copyright office doesn't particularly want to receive 25 million notices. They don't want to receive 25 million anything, right? And the fee structure that was set up to file those notices was not set up with the idea that there would be this voluminous, um, you know, filing. But there's got to be some way to figure this out. I mean, we're, we're talking about technology companies here, and we're talking about relatively manageable data. I mean, it's all text-based metadata. You know, there's no objects or, you know, videos or any large files involved here, particularly. They don't have to be. And, um, you know, that seems like it's a pretty manageable thing. Um, and, and, you know, Spotify, if they can come up with it on their website, uh, the copyright office could just simply link to it, you know. just And, you know, just say, look, this is part of this court order, you know, that says one of the things Spotify has to do is disclose all this information. I have to believe that's going to cross the judge's mind. I mean, that just seems like it's inherent, you know, in 
in solving this problem. And then on a go forward basis, you know, it's it's a bit more manageable in the sense that they're ingesting 10, 20,000 tracks a day, supposedly. But I'll tell you, if it were me, I would just tell all these labels, yeah, you know, you don't have to get the songs, but cleared and you don't have to file the NOIs and you don't have to do the accounting and all that. We'll take on that burden. But guess what? If you want your track on our service, you have to get us the ownership information of the song. It's that simple. <laughs> or yeah, we're sure. putting it up. And you know, the product manager at Atlantic Records who's trying to, you know, get their act out there, they'll go find it. Right. So absolutely you set up that's essentially what I did at AM. So if you set up the tension in the right way, the market will produce the information that's necessary in order to keep this from getting out of control. And, and what, 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 whatever the end results are that Spotify and Copyright Office and all that have to go through, do you pretty much anticipate that all the other streaming services are going to just start doing the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're all watching this, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're all watching it. And whatever the resolution is, the thing of it is, is if, if, if whatever the resolution is, it's going to involve, inherently is going to involve a couple of things, right? Producing information. At what point do you produce the information? Do you take the step of telling the, the master owners that they can't deliver the recordings without the song information? You go there. You know, uh, I would. I wouldn't think twice about it, actually. Uh, particularly now, because you've you've already kind of you're already paying for the sins of the past already. So on a go forward basis, um, you know you're you're really um, you've got demonstrable value in wanting them wanting to be on the service, and you're talking about a relatively small number of tracks compared to what they had to clear to get started. So um, you know I think that's probably going to be where it ends up, somewhere in there. Is this um, lawsuit? big enough that it could bring down Spotify? <laughs> um, well, it depends on what they find. I mean, if they've been, you know, nasty boys and girls in there uh, and there's some smoking gun emails where they say, yeah, you know, I knew about it, but I don't really care. It will never get caught. Or, you know, I talked to so-and-so and they said, don't worry about it. They'll take care of the problem. And all these things are the kinds of things that it would not shock me to see some knucklehead putting in an email, right? Uh, I mean, look at the Cox Communications case with BMG on the DMCA. There's extraordinary things people write in emails. Um, so it sort of depends, you know, if it's, if it's really... Um, the kind of liability that can get them into willful infringement land. And, um, you know, I mean, if you try hard enough, copyright infringement can be a crime, you know? So um, if it's on a massive enough scale and they can prove what they need to prove um, on the plaintiff's side, um, it could be a lot of money. I mean, because it, fe it feels like to me the massive scale – is potentially already there. You're talking millions and millions of songs. Right. And it's the issue of, well, now it's, did they willfully do this or not? Right. So well, you, they're already half of, half of the problem is already there. I mean, it's, you know, this is not one album that they got their hand slapped on. This is millions of songs. And that's why it got me thinking is, well, this this could, you know, if, if some, I guess... You know, if some judge wanted to make an example out of this case, um, it could go very badly. It could. Uh, it's also, don't forget, it's, it's how many songs are in the class, right? So we know that there probably are millions of songs uh, for which they haven't gotten a license. The question will be, will there be millions of songs for which they haven't gotten a license for members of the class? Right, and that's right. probably not, it's still going to be a lot, I bet. Uh, but it's it may not be that you know twenty million track range, but all those facts are going to come in, and if the judge decides that the damages um, you know should be enough to sting, um, it, it wouldn't take much. I mean, when you consider that they're losing money as it is, all these services are losing money. 
and the only way they're going to be able to get any money to pay the damages is if they raise it from somebody else. I don't see the conga line of VCs going out the door saying, oh, yeah, let me sign up for that. Yeah, you know, yeah. let me just write a check and hand it over to the songwriters and the music publishers. I don't see that happening. And, uh, and if they then turn around and, you know, have to shut down, you know, there are certain kinds of copyright infringement claims that are not dischargeable in bankruptcy, right? Like, like a lot of other intentional torts. Um, if you're, if you're intentionally a bad person, you can't go to the bankruptcy courts and get out of it, right? So, um, and then you start, I mean, if you really think it through, um, how much of it is corporate responsibility and how much of it is personal responsibility, because these guys are surely acting outside the scope of their employment, right? Uh, so why should the Spotify stockholders have to take this on? Um, so, you know, it, it kind of goes in some directions yeah. that I don't think are, yeah. are yeah. uniformly good, you know, for Spotify, particularly yeah. at a time when they're trying to raise money. I mean, they're out there trying to raise $500 million of debt. And, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. How fast do you think this will move? You know, I know that, you know, there's especially if it's a class action suit, that tells me that it's probably going to take a little bit more time. But how, do you think this will move quickly or do you think this is going to be you know, something that drags out for a while. It'll drag out for a while. Yeah. And they'll see to it that it drags out for a while. I mean, you know, this is what this is what I'm talking about in terms of how do they want to handle this, right? Yeah. I mean, if it if it were if it if I was advising them, what I would say is look, you know, your answer to this class action has been, you know, obfuscate, you know, argue about, you know, whether this class is correct. And all these are legally defensible. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of their Positions, um, although they did take an interesting uh, position on um, saying that the the because the case was filed in California, they don't have any. Notwithstanding the fact they have offices in L.A. and San Francisco, <clears throat> they don't have anybody in California who handles music publishing uh, while they're advertising for a job for someone who handles music publishing that would be in L.A. That I, I suspect the lawyers didn't know that job posting was up there, uh, but you know they're they're gonna hammer this out as they should you know there's nothing wrong with what they're doing it's just not the way you act if you want to get to a quick settlement yeah yeah you know because what i mean like i said if it were me i'd be up there what do i need to do what do i need to do david lowry tell me what i need to do let's because, settle yeah let's settle this and i and, and i would if it were me i would just unilaterally publish all this information I would just start posting it. It's like, okay, you got me. Here it is. I told you I had it. Here's the names. Here's I'm not the hiding name. anything. I'm not hiding anything. They should be struggling to get that white hat back on. Because right yeah. now, I don't think they have it. My sense is that you do not have it. It seems to me that regardless of the outcome, this is going to have some pretty significant impact on, on the music industry, especially the streaming industry. I think so. And, and basically what it comes down to is, um, you know, you don't get to decide how, how much of the law you comply with. You know, I mean, you really don't. Neither does anybody else. None of us do, right? right the right. law is the law. And by the way, it's a, like I said, 25 bucks looks pretty cheap today. You know, so why do you have to have these massive numbers of tracks? You know, why do you, is that really something that is a must have for these services? And I believe me, I've been in those meetings where the VCs say, well, you know, so and so has got five, 10, 20 million tracks. How come we only have three? You know, it's like, well, you know, maybe we have the three that sell. You know, how about that? Right, well, right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like app developers, you know, they, they get told, well, you know, you have to go clear all these tracks and you ask them, you know, when they've struggled to make deals with Universal, Warner and Sony, how many tracks do you use a month? Oh, 500, right? <laughs> but do you think you have to go to all the labels? You know, can't you just, you know, you know how many tracks Universal has? I mean, you know, or any one of these, you know, 
don't you think you could find your needs met, you know, simply, or maybe even go to Merlin, you know, and do a deal with them? You know, I mean, do you really have to go around and pay all these advances and do all this negotiation? Can't you just kind of, you know, get started and see if you even have a business, you know, and, and then add to it as you go along? Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, when you talk to these guys in the, in the, in the digital music services, they all see themselves as competing with Apple, right, uh, or competing with YouTube, you know, which has its own set of problems with DMCA. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, you got to remember, Apple's been around a while now. They've already got the royalty system. They, they know where to find these people. They have relationships in the music business, right? Right. And, you know, when you're starting on day one, you're just not going to have all that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think wow. you're right. I think it will affect the streaming, how they, you know, how they approach every aspect of their business really going forward. And and you know, this is more of just an observation, but maybe you've got a comment. It seems like this is going to potentially affect Spotify's just brand recognition, as in all of a sudden, like you you were saying, they got to put a white hat on. And right now, if artists start looking at going. Holy crap! These guys, right or wrong, they got busted. Can right. I trust? Can I trust them? Right. Moving forward, um, Paul, I don't want my music on Spotify. I'll put it up on everybody else. You sure. There's there's seriously a brand problem that they've got to contend with now. Right, too. and that's on top of all of the talk that we talk about, Michael, a lot is that you know you get these people in the press that are saying, you know, I was streamed a million times on Spotify and I got $10 and so there's a lot of that going on where people, especially musicians now, are starting to kind of think, well, is streaming really a good thing for me? Right. Well, you have that and, and the brand damage, I think, is significant. And and will will could easily translate into this kind of thought process. If they screwed up the songwriters that bad, how do I know they're not screwing up the masters that bad too? Right? How do I know that I got a? Is it is it is it even plausible that somebody could have that big a problem with the song side and have no problem at all with the sound recording side for the same yeah. use? Makes you wonder. You know, so once people start like that, then everybody starts getting interested. Well, yeah, you know, perception is reality, right? You know, uh, yeah. And this is what I mean is it's it's just a cascading effect, and they didn't need this, um, particularly not at this particular moment in time. Remembering these are companies that operate almost all of them operate at a loss. Right. They'll they'll tell you they operate at a loss because they pay out so much in royalties. But if you then find out they're not paying out that much in royalties because they're stiffing people, then that argument sort of goes. Right, right. Now you're scratching your head going, so, well, what, are, what is the loss? Where is this money going? Yeah. Where is, then, this, where is the subscription fee every month going if they have been busted not paying out? Right. If you, I, you know, Spotify doesn't publish its financials, but I looked at the, at the Pandora financials, which is another company that makes a lot of these same kinds of arguments. And they at least have the compulsory sound recording license. They don't have to worry about the mechanical. But, um, you know, you look at Pandora's um, financials of their balance sheet and income statement, and, you know, their administrative costs are like 40% of their, <laughs> their revenue. And SGNA, they call it selling general and administrative. And that, that number typically should be somewhere closer to 20 or less and they're wow. double that now you know there you can make excuses for why that would be the case but it's not just the royalties okay it's not just the royalties I mean if you really find that you can't have a business without opening offices in every city in the world that has the highest real estate prices known to man you know expect some criticism about your overhead right and um, and 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 before you know, I always used to say about Pandora, it's like, okay, so you want to you want to be more profitable? I can make you more profitable in about an hour, and we're going to start with executive compensation. That's where we're going to start, and then we're going to work our way down from there. Because I've been in plenty of record companies that had trouble, <laughs> you know, and that's where they yeah. started, you know. Yeah. So you know, don't come crying to me, right? And sure. this is, I mean, I think this people are going to start looking at. 
the kind of salaries you know that these people have sure, and sure. their benefits packages and everything else mm -hmm. and and about the way they run their business a lot closer yeah and, and secondarily to your your point earlier you know the real estate you go to these places um, they've got buildings usually very nice buildings in very expensive you know San Francisco Bay Area New York you know they've got very expensive buildings in very ex expensive areas and that takes up a lot of uh, capital as well well I don't know if you, you if you guys heard but it was just recently in the last day or two um, Zynga is going to make money finally because they're selling off their very expensive office space in San Francisco right. and you know and, and I sort of joke to myself I'm like so if your business model is created in such a way that the only way you're profitable is by selling your office you've got a wrong business model your product is not right there's there's deeper problems and uh, that that's exactly what you're talking about here is yeah. you know yeah, there's something to be said for cheap, you know, home office digs. Look at uh, Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas. I mean, that's right. That's right. I mean, you could. You don't have to be downtown no, Manhattan. Definitely not. And you know, there's nothing. There's nothing that says that Spotify couldn't be, you know, in Syracuse. You know, or there's plenty of cities. You know, Austin, Texas. I tell you, would be more than happy to welcome them here. You know, and you know, it's not as cheap as it used to be, but it's certainly a lot cheaper than Fifth Avenue. You know, so. You know, you look at the yeah, people yeah. start looking at these things more closely when they know you're not paying them, you know, and they, they get and, you know, there's, you know, you hear things, you know, I've heard that there are IOUs out there from some of these streaming services to the labels and the publishers, which certainly is what the RDO bankruptcy looks like. If you if you look at that list, you know, how is it that they came to owe two million dollars to a label? Right. You would think that account would be current. Right. Uh, so you know if that if that's what's happening, and then you start thinking about well what happens if these services go bust? You know they're going to flip the keys to the first bum on the street and let the chips fall where they may. You know and if you're if you're if and if you look at Spotify and Pandora going out to the debt markets for hundreds of millions of dollars, well guess what? Those notes are going to be secured, right? Those guys are going to be at the head of the line if there's a bankruptcy. And you know who's not going to be at the head of the line? Unsecured creditors who are owed royalties. Because another name for someone who's owed royalties is the unsecured creditor, right? <clears throat> and if that day happens, now that streaming is such a big part of the music business, as we keep getting told every day, right, um, that's going to be an ugly, ugly thing. If it all of a sudden that tap is just turned off, which is what and you know very often they they seek bankruptcy protection because they want the stay uh, of litigation that comes with it, right? So there's a lot of twists and turns that this could go through, and nobody, none of these companies are immune. I mean, I I lived through the dot com bust in in 2000, and I got to tell you, if you had said to a lot of people. It's like Southern California real estate. You know, if you had said to people at the fourth quarter of 1999, you know, in, in another three months, half the companies that you're representing are going to be dead, they would have laughed at you, mm -hmm. right? Because they never see it coming. The thing about the bubble is they never see the burst coming because they just think it's going to go up. It's like you say to a real estate agent in L.A., you know, well, what, you know, what happens if interest rates go up? Oh, no, that'll be a good thing. Right, because then the prices will go even higher because people will want to buy before it goes up, before rates go even higher. Right, I mean it's like these crazy rationalizations start coming out. So it, it wouldn't shock me if somebody. I mean, look, RDO went under. Deezer had a failed IPO. Right, um, Spotify. If they can find an underwriting syndicate this year, given what's happening in the in the public markets. And, and, you know, given what's happening to them with this litigation and other problems they're having, you know, God bless them. I just, I just don't see it happening. Even with Goldman Sachs, I don't, I don't see it happening this year. And then that would go a long way to explaining why they want to raise $500 million in debt, convertible debt, right? Because they're hoping that somewhere in that year that they'll have um, before they have to either pay or convert 
that they'll be able to get out the door in an IPO and then just roll all those, roll all that into uh, into equity and then yeah. register that equity and wipe it out that way. I'll be surprised if they can pull that off, you know. So there's 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 some real structural issues going on here that um, you know I think yeah, the labels, labels need to start paying attention to. Because you know all that, all that when they start giving up royalty rates in return for equity, that's on the assumption that that equity actually ends up meaning something, right? Mm -hmm. And if it ends up, and if the Spotify equity ends up being a washout, then they're going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a lot of questions yeah, yeah. about what in the world they think they're doing. And of course, the reason why they want the equity is because they don't. It's it's you know the same old song, which is we're not going to let another MTV build their business on our backs, right? right. Uh, which I guess is true, except for the last ten times they allowed an MTV to build a business. Yeah, let's let's not talk about YouTube right now. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Cr so. Christian, this was absolutely fascinating insight, and you know what I would love to do is whenever at some point in the future this case gets settled or decision is made, have you come back on and let's talk about what happened and what it means. Sure. Super great discussion. This is just totally, yeah, great insight as to why this has happened and what is going on and, and what this could mean. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Um, do you have, I mean, do you, uh, do you have a website? Do you want to plug yeah. anything? <laughs> Uh, well, the law firm website is christiancastle.com, and um, my blog is uh, musictechpolicy, all one word, uh, .com. So that's that's all I'm plugging today. You know? There you excellent. go. That's ex excellent, excellent. Again, Christian, thank you so much for joining us. This yeah. was, this is just fascinating, fascinating. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Great. Right. Thank you. Guys, take, take care. care. Okay. Um, as I said, I just found that so fascinating. I mean, I was just sitting back just taking that all in. And, you know, so much of this legal stuff is up here, but he did a really good job of yeah. painting the picture of how this happened and what could happen. I mean, I'm just sitting back going, you know, mm -hmm. it's not unforeseeable that, you know, a, a year from now, two years from now, whenever this is settled, um, the streaming landscape, could look yeah. a lot different. I mean, we did a show where we talked about it's changing, it's consolidating. I mean, at the very end there, here's what I'm sitting back going, you know what? It seems to me pretty obvious now that Apple's tactic is to, especially when it comes to Apple Music, is let's just sit back and let everybody else. Duke it out. Duke it out, fall apart, disappear. And they're because, quietly growing, because you it, know, eleven million so far. They're they're not doing so badly. But you know, and and that 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 isn't bad. But you know, they may not have the numbers of everybody else, depending on how you look at things. But what they do have, as Christian pointed out, they've got the experience, they've got the knowledge, they've got the relationships, and let's be honest, they've got a deep, deep, deep profitable bank account. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, they really they're, they're not worrying about five hundred million dollars in losses that they need to. They need to worry. No, but with. I don't think that they would even have them. To your point and to Christian's point, they they've probably done the due diligence. They they've know. got the systems in place. But you're absolutely right. This is going to impact the business in a big way. And I'm so thrilled to have Christian on because I've read several articles about this, and still didn't really come away with a clear understanding. You know, is it David Lowry kind of being you know attacking these people? Is it legitimate? You know, and I think he's done a great job of taking a very complex issue and simplifying it so it's not just in legal terms, so I can understand it and then talk to somebody intelligently about it. I thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, I, I'm I'm anxious to see. You know, will this will 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 the courts go? Spotify, you did this knowingly, maliciously, willfully, or you know, yeah. how how are they going to view this? Because to yeah. me, that's just that that becomes the crux of everything here. Did, yeah, did, did, my gut tells me they're going to settle. I mean, you know, as my old boss Henry Droz used to say, it's not about the money; it's about the money. Meaning, you know, it's it's always about the money. Right. So even though you know you might not be able to say buy off uh, uh, David Lowry, at some point 
if you do what's right and you take care of people, like Christian was mentioning, you set up a website, you identify these people, you make sure that they're compensated, then you know they're not going to be put out of business if that's you know if they get that white hat back on. But uh, this could have serious impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is going to be very interesting to watch how this plays out. I mean, I'm going to be paying attention to this a lot more. Yeah, it's not just, you know, before it was sort of like, oh yeah, it's just another person suing Spotify. Well, big deal. Everybody wants yeah. to do that. No, there. I now I understand what this is about. Yeah, it's bigger than I thought. Yeah. All right. So great conversation. Um, great conversation. Speak to everybody next week. Thanks everyone.